Lawful but not expedient is the title of the message as it has been the last several weeks. This is our final message and this last message will be on the topic of substances. Substances. When I speak of substances, as we'll see, um, I'm going to be focusing in on four particular areas. Alcohol, um, tobacco, I guess we could say. I, I specifically say cigarettes, but I suppose tobacco would be a more, more broad term. Uh, illicit, illicit substances, uh, drugs, and then uh, controlled substances, prescription drugs and such. Um, and those will be the four topics that we'll discover, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about as we discover what the Word of God says in regard to that which is lawful but not expedient, that which is not lawful. And as we begin this morning, I, I want to give us again a perspective on the entire series. If you are a human being in this room, please raise your hand. Everyone's hand is raised. If you are perfect, please keep your hand up. No more hands up. I think I saw Matt's hand stay up there for just a moment. He was thinking about it, but it went down eventually. You know, there's no one in in this room that is perfect. We, as believers, strive for perfection. We as believers ought to, and rightfully so, feel compelled to remove all of those weights in our lives. All of those things. That's what, that's what we're memorizing right now in Hebrews 12, right? That we would lay aside the weights that easily beset us. That we would run with patience the race that is set before us. And as we consider that verse in our memory work, the fact is, this life is full of weights. And as we've talked about amusement, and as we've talked about appearance, and as we've talked about music, see, God wants us to run this Christian life as fast as we can. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. But how silly would it be for a marathon runner to line up next to all of his other marathon runners and they've all got those really light marathon shoes, and here he is with steel-toed boots. And they've all got the really light mesh clothing, and here he has a backpack on, and he's wearing jeans. He's got a bunch of weight that he doesn't need. He, he, he will run the race, but he won't be as successful as he could have been. He won't have the endurance. He won't have the speed that he could have had if he had laid aside those weights. And all throughout this series, we've been speaking on weights. There are amusements in our lives that are nothing but dead weight. They don't profit, and they take too much of our time, and they're filling our minds with things that are not profitable, not virtuous. They're dead weight that we just need to shed. There is appearance issues in this church that are dead weight. They are, they are marring our testimony. They're marring our ability to, or perhaps they're, mar, they're hurting someone else's conscience uh, that, that are just dead weight and they need to be set aside. There is music that some of us listen to that is dead weight. Now we know that there's that sinful element to all of these, but then there's also that expedient element. It's dead weight that we lay aside the sins as well as the weights. 
Lay aside the sins, certainly, but lay aside the weights. And this week we're talking again. Now when we talk about substances, we know that there is a line drawn in Scripture. And we're going to talk about that line. But we also know that there are things which um, are debated in Christianity today. And we'll talk about why they are. But we're also going to talk about that which is not just sinful or not sinful, but that which is expedient versus that which is lawful. Remember, we have legalism and we have liberalism. And legalism is when they tell you that you may not live within the liberties that God has given you in Christ. Legalism or uh, liberalism is when we are taking advantage of the liberties that we have in Christ and stepping past our liberties into the dead weight of, of that which is not beneficial and into sin. And where God wants us is right here. Where we are using but not abusing our liberties. Using but not abusing. And so I remind you this morning of the three assertions that we make. There are things no born-again believer should do. There are things that are sinful. No, no believer should have a part in them. And then second, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And then finally, just because you shouldn't do something doesn't mean no one should. So those are our three assertions. And let me remind you of the questions that, that, are, that we can ask as we go through this and as we make biblical decisions. Am, is what I am doing sinful? If it's sinful, you have no excuse. Get rid of it. If it's not explicitly sinful, the Scriptures don't explicitly speak against it, is what I am doing, can I do it in good conscience? That was a a statement that we saw in Romans chapter 14 today. That the man that is doing something that is not a faith, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Even if it's not sinful, if he can't do it in good conscience, it's wrong for him to do before the Lord. And so, is it in good conscience? Well, if it's not in good conscience, get rid of it. You have no excuse. If it's in good conscience, and it's not explicitly spoken against in Scripture, is this decision expedient? Am I operating within the bounds of God's revealed will? How does this decision reflect upon my testimony? Is this decision a part of a balanced and godly life? Those are the questions we must ask. And so, this morning, we speak of substances, and I remind you of the verse, the theme verse, as it were. 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient, beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's what we're talking about. Now, as I sit and, or as I stand, I guess I'm standing, not sitting, as I look across this room, As I sat thinking about this this week and in the weeks past as I was writing this sermon, um, it's perhaps one of the most simple applications to our lawful but not expedient series. Most of us are on a similar page when it comes to substances and their usages and and such, but um, at the same time, times are changing in the church. Attitudes change are very different than they had been in years past. And some of this attitude adjustment has been healthy. But much of it has not been. Much of the attitude change in the church has been detrimental to the direction that Christians ought to pursue in their lives. And as I do step into this message this morning, I'm keenly aware of the ways in which the messages touch the lives of folks in this room. 
I will be speaking about drinking alcohol. I will be speaking about smoking cigarettes. I will be speaking about both illicit drugs as well as prescription drugs. And as we sit here in this room, um, there are people in, in a wide array, uh, array of, of spectrums on these issues. As a matter of fact, I, I am confident that the majority of these, of these issues are touched on in this church. I know we have a couple of folks in the church who are smokers. I know that we have various views on alcohol. I know that we have um, various prescription drugs, and I'm not preaching against prescription drugs today. We'll get there. But we, we have various um, prescription drugs being used. I, I don't know that we have any illicit drugs being used, um, but I would hope not. But, but I recognize that there are various places that we all find ourselves. And so as with all, of, and, and this was the same as music, this was the same with appearance, and this was the same with amusements. There are various places. It's just, you almost feel like it's, it's a heightened level um, with this issue, and I, I don't know why that is. Uh, the stigmas in Christianity, I suppose. But it's really not any different. I'm going to present to you, in as balanced a way as I can, the principles of Scripture, uh, the principles of expediency, of benefit, why things uh, might or might not be sinful, and why things might or might not be beneficial, and then I leave it to the Holy Spirit to guide each of you into the decisions that you're going to make in your life. And that is the way it ought to be. That's God's job. And so we're going to consider culture this morning. As we have every week, we've considered how culture addresses these issues. And uh, I, I do have uh, smoking up there as the second point. As I thought about it just this morning after I'd already made everything, um, I would maybe transition that to um, a, an overriding tobacco. So we, we wouldn't just necessarily talk about cigarettes, but we could perhaps talk about chewing tobacco and some of those other forms in which... Um, um, Tobacco is, is getting into one's system. Uh, you can add that in your mental list to this sermon, should you desire. And so we'll talk about culture and each one of these areas. And I will begin by, by seeing what role they play, helping us understand both the real and perceived motivations for consuming these substances, and help us understand the degrees to which we as believers can and should partake or withdraw from these substances for the sake of righteousness and testimony. So let's begin with alcohol. Now when we think about alcohol's role in society, alcohol's role is almost inextricably linked to amusement or entertainment. Alcohol is a cultural catalyst for entertainment because it interferes with the brain's communication pathways and changes a person's moods and behaviors and reduces a person's inhibitions. This is what alcohol does. Um, we, we just got past the Super Bowl. I, I'm, I'm hoping to never speak of the Super Bowl, this past Super Bowl again. I appreciate the sympathy card, by the way, Schmall's family. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to never have to bring it to mind again, but let's just bring it to mind for a few moments this morning. This is a lovely card. I thought, I, I thought, what, what's this card? And, and someone sending Pastor a Valentine's Day card or something, and then it said in sympathy, and I knew exactly where you were going with it. So uh, I, I do appreciate the, the sympathy. Uh, the scriptures tell us to, to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. So I appreciate those of you that, that, um, that identified with my suffering this week. But as we think about the Super Bowl this past week, uh, you know, 
alcohol is a is a inherent part of sporting events, is it not? Uh, they 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 are pushed very heavily, and of course, um, the the alcohol ads, the the Budweiser and the Coors and such, tend to be some of the most entertaining ones in any given Super Bowl or in any given football season, and they do that for a reason, because alcohol needs to maintain a stigma of being cool and and in and and, and the the thing to do. But we think about it and we recognize the stigmas and the direction that alcohol has taken in our society. Now, when you compare that with what we know as a secular society about the effects of alcohol on the body, um, we find that alcohol is very unique in its consequences and very detrimental, in fact, in its consequences. When alcohol is ingested in any form, it overrides nearly every other metabolic function of the body. The alcohol must be dealt with before anything else can be dealt with. And this causes many potential problems, usually over time, particularly in the liver, which becomes responsible to break it down. Now, as we think about this, we recognize that there are elements of moderation. There are elements of, of body's capability. And, and, and as we get further along in this message this morning, we're going to see those things. But, but let me just say this, as I've even already talked about it, and we're going to talk more about, more about its health effects. You know, really, everything that I've just told you about alcohol really doesn't matter. Because we all know what alcohol does to people, don't we? We all know what alcohol does to people. It's not a mystery. You have to be 21 to purchase it, to drink it. You have to make sure that, that you have a designated driver if you've been drinking alcohol and you get behind the wheel of a car. There are laws on the books in regard to alcohol and, and there's a reason why that even secular society understands. But consider this health chart this morning. I don't even know if you'll be able to read it. It's a little... If I flip the lights off, let me, let me, let me uh, sh- tell you what this is saying. I apologize, it's perhaps a bit um, dimmer than it ought to be. These are the various, according um, to the website, healthchecksystems.com. And you could go to several different websites. These are the various ramifications of alcohol based upon studies. Um, the things that alcohol tends to... to make worse in the body. Arthritis, cancer, of course, fetal alcohol syndrome, heart disease, hyperglycemia, um, hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia, kidney disease, liver disease, malnutrition, nervous disorders, obesity, psychological disturbances. All of these are known side effects of alcohol consumption in our society. Secular websites, what secular folks have to say, what science tells us about the heavy consumption of alcohol. And so the question is, if alcohol is so notoriously bad for you and its effects of behavior, on behavior and judgment are so pronounced and so negative, two questions. Number one, why do Christians even have this conversation about alcohol? And number two, what would motivate anyone to drink alcohol in the first place? Good questions. Let's consider them in reverse order. First, possible motivations. Uh, this is, of course, you, you know me. I, I put these lists up every week. Cultural motivations. I may not hit everything. You may have other ones that I don't, um, that you know of, or whatever the case may be. But the, the possible and probable motivations for consuming alcohol. Entertainment or amusement, association, expectation, escapism, and addiction. 
Entertainment and amusement, we could lot those together, but they are kind of different. One, you're amusing yourself. The other, you're being entertained. Um, alcohol heightens your ability to be entertained because it removes your inhibitions. It also um, heightens your amusement because of uh, some people respond to alcohol in different ways. Uh, for some people, it is a depressant. But um, various elements of entertainment or amusement. Association and expectation. This is, this is where the beer commercials come in. Right? It's a cultural thing. This is cool. This is in. This is, this is a good thing. You want this. You want to be this. You want to be these types of people. Um, you, you want to associate with this culture. Become a part of this culture. And then these last two, escapism and addiction. Um, the idea of escaping reality as alcohol not only um, inhibits discernment and, and such, but it can also um, dull a person's pain or a person's um, fears or a person's anxieties. Uh, in certain industries, they call it liquid courage, right? When a person doesn't have enough courage to face something on their own, they, they use alcohol to give them, to, to lower their, their fears and inhibitions to be able to do what is being asked of them or what culture is telling them to do or whatever the case may be. And so we have this element of escaping the realities of the world, escaping that which is um, our responsibilities or that which is expected of us. And we also have the idea of addiction. You know, some folks, uh, maybe they started out for one of those other reasons, but it's not amusing anymore. It's not entertaining anymore. Now they're just an alcoholic. They just can't stop now. Um, they, 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 are, they are addicted. They are under the power of alcohol. And that may be a motivation why they are still drinking. And so these are, are some of the cultural considerations when we think of alcohol. These motivations are often highlighted in Scripture. Proverbs 23 speaks of motivations. It's a little small there on the screen, but the, the um, proverb says this in verses 29 through 35. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thy heart shall utter perverse things. These are some of the consequences of alcohol. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? And then he says at the end there, I will seek it yet again. So the idea, you see all the word pictures here, that, that as, uh, when, when, when a person is pursuing alcohol, um, it, 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 in the last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like an adder, the, 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 the pain um, that could come with um, the digestion and, and the uh, hangovers and the headaches and um, the, the lack of inhibition, the eye will behold strange women, the heart shall utter perverse things, things will come out of your mouth that you would never anticipate coming out of your mouth because you're lacking discernment. Um, you'll do things that you would never otherwise do because you're lacking the inhibitions and the discernment. And then in the end, it talks about him li- um, being like one who's lying down in the midst of the sea, tottering back and forth 
can't even stand straight, can't even walk straight. It's like they're on a boat back and forth as they're walking or standing. And then it says, talking about the wounds without cause, falling and hurting yourself, not even feeling it when you've hurt yourself, people beating him and he doesn't feel it. May not even remember it. And then he says at the end there, when shall I wake? When shall I get back to my senses? And when I do, what am I going to do? I'm going to go find it again. I'm going to bring myself back under its power again. I'm going to seek it again. I'm going to do it all over again. That addictive element, that, that, that drive or that escapism element where you, you've, you've forgotten the world for one night, but it, now it's morning. What are you going to do now? The world's back. So you run to it again. And you run to it again. And you run to it again. Consider also Proverbs 31, 4-7. through This is a, a mother speaking to her son who is a king. She said this, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget not his poverty and remember his or forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Now, this is not the scriptural condoning of, of drinking to escape the world. But this is, this is what she's saying. She says, look, Lemuel, you are a man of nobility. You are a man of responsibility. And a man of nobility and responsibility has no business drinking because you can't do what you're supposed to do. You cannot uphold your responsibilities in a, in a drunken state. Leave the drunkenness to those that are, that are poor and need to escape the world that's around them. Now, as we think about these verses, as we think about these concepts, we'll we'll consider the merits of these motivations in a moment. But, is there any virtue? Is there any virtue in that substance? I would say yes. Every once in a while, I have a really runny, stuffy, awful nose, and I take NyQuil. NyQuil is probably something like 15% alcohol, 18% alcohol, something like that. There's some virtue there. It's going to clear me up. It's going to knock me out. I'm going to wake up the next day. It was certainly not enough alcohol to do any damage to my body. It'll metabolize just fine. And it helped me medicinally. Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. A little bit of virtue there as we think about the antioxidants in wine, not certainly in alcohol, but in the wine because of the, the source in um, grapes. But as we think about alcohol, alcoholic beverages in general, there's no virtue in it. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's talk about tobacco or smoking or cigarettes, however you want to call it. We're all aware of the physical effects of smoking on a person. I could put up a list similar to the one that I did to alcohol talking about the the physical detriments that come through um, smoking or through chewing tobacco, through that getting into your body and into your system. We don't really need to. We all know. Whereas alcohol commercials are still showing alcohol to be the thing, right? The thing to do, even though each commercial comes with the disclaimers, drink responsibly. It's still the thing to do. The laws have actually disallowed cigarette companies from doing the same thing, haven't they? It used to, Joe Cool used to be the guy on television. I remember seeing a bunch of Joe Cool commercials. The camel that had packs of cigarettes all over the place, right? 
But they're not allowed to do that anymore. Legally, they are not allowed to have cigarette commercials because they don't want the culture thinking cigarettes are cool. Because they have recognized the detrimental effects of cigarettes on the body, they don't want to push that. And so, it's sufficient to say that culture recognizes that the chemicals in cigarettes do numerous things to our bodies. They reduce our body's ability to carry oxygen. They're highly addictive. They contain dangerous chemicals, increase the likelihood of many bodily diseases, and reduce the effectiveness of our immune systems. And we could argue the health detriments. We all know the little old lady that smoked her entire life that's 95 years old and she's still kicking and doing just fine. So we could argue those things back and forth and that's fine. We don't need to. But as we consider the motivations, the secular motivations that might um, bring about uh, smoking cigarettes, let's consider them in the same way we did alcohol. And I, I added one to this list, and I believe that the only reason why rebellion is, is added to the list is because it's something that is a cultural faux pas in our society nowadays. And I'm not saying that anyone who is smoking exhibits these signs or is doing it for any of these or all of these reasons, but what would start a person down this path? What would get a person going in this direction? What would keep a person there? Some of these things might have something to do with it association or expectation, that which is cool, that which others are doing, that which parents did, that which friends do, that which family does, that which whoever did, everyone's doing it type idea. Appearance, um, got to look apart, right? Got to look a certain way. Rebellion, oftentimes, and we, we see this all throughout the history of cigarettes, um, it was something that was a, an attempt at rebelling against parents. Parents don't want me to do this, so I'm going to do it anyway. Or I'm going to do it because my parents don't want me to do it. I'm going to hide behind the shed and uh, smoke the cigarettes, but make sure mom and dad don't find out. And these sorts of elements of rebellion that might motivate it. And then certainly, as it goes down the road, addiction is really what keeps people there, isn't it? Um, the, the motivations for cigarettes, like oftentimes the motivations for alcohol, can sometimes be very youth-centered. Those, those years of our youth when oh, we don't always have our heads screwed on straight or, um, or, or the perceive, we, we, we perceive something entirely different from what is real or whatever the case may be. But down the road when we start to realize that perhaps this isn't the best thing, whether it's a best thing spiritually or best thing for me physically, we begin to, to, to desire to distance ourselves from some of these poor choices and sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes our choices have now ensnared us and I'm not just talking about substances either. These can be other sins. These can be uh, the sin of pornography. This can be um, the, the certain movies that we have, uh, certain music that we have. <clears throat> we make decisions before we have all of the facts or before we know things and as we learn things, sometimes it's very difficult to give them up because they have ensnared us. And so, we think of alcohol, we think of smoking or cigarettes, we think of illicit substances and the culture surrounding illicit substances. This is probably the most obvious one on the list. Illegal drugs are illegal because they are known to have terrible consequences. Typically speaking, they are heavily addictive, they are cripplingly expensive, and they are mind-altering, usually. They put you in a state um, similar to uh, con consumption of a great deal of alcohol would where it actually alters your state. It changes your ability to discern. It, um, it changes your ability to perceive. It, it has uh, mind-altering effects on a person. 
Certainly illicit substances are not always expensive. Um, there are plenty of the people that um, just buy a, a thing of gasoline and sniff that or glue or whatever the case may be. And these are also um, things that could, could we, we would lot under illicit substances. And, and um, one person, or you, you, might, you might smirk and, and think that that's kind of silly, but it's, it's becoming one of the highest trending ways for a person to overdose on drugs today is, is these household chemicals and such. Um, that people are using to try and get that high. These are often very detrimental to one's health. They've often broken up families. They've destroyed relationships. And the drug culture, may I um, make this very clear, the drug culture and um, the prostitution culture are very, very intertwined. Drugs and prostitution, drugs and sex slavery are intertwined entirely. To, to pursue one is to support the other. And that, as well, should be very um, apparent to us when we look at the character of culture and substances. So, the motivations for illicit substances that we might have. Uh, again, we, we've seen every single one of these before. I've actually just kind of put the alcohol one and the tobacco one together because... Not only do you have all of those effects of looking cool and being cool and fitting in and all of that, but you also have that potential rebellion aspect or that escapism aspect and certainly the addiction aspect. Because it's got the mind-altering abilities, you can escape the world through it, which you can't necessarily do through tobacco. But it also has that um, uh, rebellion quality because it is an illicit drug, um, something that you can't get legally. uh, And that's changing for uh, certain drugs nowadays, but um, all of these, these same motivations, entertainment, amusement, association, expectation, appearance, escapism, rebellion, addiction, they're all there, possible possibilities for why a person would pursue illicit drugs. Now, there's one more category I want to touch on, and I'm going to touch on it in, in a little bit of a different way, and that is prescription drugs, controlled substances. Now, there are many of us who are under controlled substances, prescription drugs, and I'm not saying that you're wrong for doing so. I, I've had several prescriptions in my life. Prescriptions are a blessing from the Lord as the Lord has helped our culture to learn and, and to, to use medications to help us. But prescription drug abuse is huge today abusing prescription drugs, to use them in a very similar way to um, an illicit drug, um, uh, the, the painkillers, the Vicodin, the morphine. Uh, my mom, she's a nurse, and uh, she could tell you some amazing stories about how people try to get prescription drugs. They have so many policies and laws going into effect um, trying to keep people from getting, to getting prescription drugs that they can sell um, on the open market. She tells a funny story. Have well, one time, a lady in her office came up and ha- she had a, a prescription written out with the doctor's signature on it. And in the prescription area, the prescription was for one pound of morphine. One pound of morphine. And <laughs> and so the lady came up to her and she said, "Did you see this?" And you know, one pound of morphine. Of course, it was the, it was the actual doctor's signature, and somebody had been able to find the doctor's signature and was mass-producing the doctor's signature on these counterfeit forms, and they were filling out their own prescriptions. And luckily, there are stupid people who think that morphine is given out in pound measurements and spelling it morphine instead of morphine. And here, um, you know, you recognize that there is a huge market for this stuff out there. And let's not 
pretend that, that that is not just as big of a problem as any of these others when it comes to addiction, when it comes to drug use. So controlled substances can be a part of this as well. We don't want to get ourselves into a situation where we're addicted to a controlled substance or when we're using controlled substances for reasons that are not necessary. When I was working in daycare, my, my wife and I tell this story, and I think I just told it this past week, um, I would have children who were, who were assigned because of uh, attention deficit disorder to Ridlin. But the most curious thing about one, uh, one child in particular his prescription was for weekends only. A weekends only prescription to Ritalin. Well, what does that mean? That means the teacher can keep the kid under control, but the parents don't want to have to deal with him on the weekend. So they get a prescription so that they can drug him up for the weekend so that he can be under control and they don't have to deal with him. It's behavior modification. This is, this is just as unvirtuous as any other use of drugs. When you are modifying your child's behavior because you can't control him with drugs, This is the same stuff. And this is what I'm talking about with controlled substances. I'm not talking about you have an infection and you you need an antibiotic or you're an asthmatic and you need an inhaler. What I'm talking about is the abuse of controlled substances and it's everywhere today. And so this this does not have the same motivations generally as the others. It's not because it's cool. It's not for escapism. uh, Maybe with some of the prescription drugs, painkillers and such. But the motivations tend to be very different. But the virtues are still the same. The results on our minds, on our hearts, on our actions. Now, in a moment we're going to speak to the problems. And I'm going to take all of these substances and I'm going to lot them into one category and say, here are the dangers as far as lawful but not expedient is concerned. The, the reasons why many of these substances are not virtuous and really have no place in our lives. I, I encourage you to use common sense. I'm not talking about an inhaler as I'm telling you um, that these things have no places in our lives. Use common sense with this. Understand where I've gone with this sermon, where I'm going with this sermon. If you really have any questions and you think I'm telling you not to take your inhaler, please come see me. I'm not a medical professional. I cannot tell you what to take and what not to take. I'm not telling you to ignore your, your, your doctor's prescription. I'm not telling you to, to ignore the medical profession. I'm not telling you any of that. Please don't get me wrong. Okay, let's talk about motivations. Motivations for the use of substances, as we have looked at them today, they lack spiritual virtue. They really do. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-4 through four says this, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, Peter tells us that we are, by virtue of our salvation, partakers in the divine nature. This does not mean that we're little gods. This does not mean that we're perfect. This does not mean that we're we're little remote controls for, for God or anything of the sort. But rather that God and the power of God is manifest itself in our lives through the fruit of the Spirit. And this frees us from the bondage of the carnal motivations that compel the actions of the world. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or by means of lust. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What I mean by this and what the scriptures mean by this is that we ought to function on a higher plane than the motivations that drive men to put these substances into their bodies. 
Now, with the, uh, with the exception of addiction, which oftentimes takes more than just personal will, oftentimes it takes help, accountability, and uh, time. With the uh, exception of that, those other motivations that would draw a person into using substances are not virtuous. And there's not a person in here, particularly thinking of perhaps those young people who still have these choices to make before they grow up and figure out that it's just foolishness anyway. There's really no virtuous way, no virtuous motivation for you to step into any of these vices. There really isn't. It's not that the very thing that, that we're doing is inherently wrong. Some of these are lawful, just not expedient. But aren't these motivations the thing that Christ has freed us from? I mean, isn't this the, 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 one of the greatest benefits of our salvation, that Christ has freed us from those elements of the world that would motivate us in these directions that the world is going? Consider also 1 Peter 4, 4, 4, 1 through 4, excuse me. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness and lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. So Peter says here, look, you used to be one of those. You used to be committed to the excesses of the flesh, to the motivations of the flesh. And now, by virtue of the fact that you are no longer doing those things, the people look at you and they think you're strange. <laughs> they think it's strange. But you are being an open testimony of the way that God has changed you. Because you're no longer motivated by the flesh. You're motivated by the Spirit. You're no longer motivated by, by the world. You're motivated by the virtues of God. Our distinction rests in our purposed determination to live lives of distinction among the world. Substances that would draw us into thoughts or actions or motivations of the world inherently lack virtue. Second, substances are indeed bad for your body. In moderation, it may not permanently damage your body, but the positive effects are minimal to say the least. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says this, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is God's. Uh, we'll see this verse in just a couple of weeks as we preach through it. Paul is specifically speaking against fornication here, but he, the principle extends. Is not your body the temple of the Holy Ghost? What are you doing with that body? Are you taking care of that body? How can you take care of that body as best you can, keeping that temple while at the same time willingly placing damaging substances into your body. Third, sub substances are very poor financial stewardship. This is kind of the overlooked one in, in Christianity, I think. This is the overlooked one, I think, in everything that we've talked about over the past four weeks. Amusements and appearance and last week with music. 
how much money are we pouring into the things of this world that are not being reinvested into the things of God? I'm not making a plug for the church here. But how much more money could you be giving to the work of God in Buffalo? How much more money could you be giving to the mission field? How much of your budget is set aside for the things of the world as opposed to the things of God? And how much more money could be set aside for the things of God if you would shave, if you would cut the fat? Substances are poor financial stewardship. Alcohol is expensive, folks. Cigarettes are expensive. Drugs are expensive. This stuff is not cheap. And the reason why it's not cheap is because they have addictive qualities and the world knows they can get the prices. And because they're dangerous and so all of these things have to be taxed so that the tax dollars can go to research to cure the diseases that are caused by the substances. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. So the first fruits are the Lord's. We know that. But all the substance is the Lord's. That's what the first half of the verse says. We need to honor the Lord with it. And finally, physical addictions are a detriment to flexible ministry. They hinder you in being as flexible as you could be because your addiction is going to be kind of like a ball and chain. It's going to follow you wherever you go. And it's going to demand something of you, a piece of you. So that it might even hinder your ability for ministry. Maybe it's testimony. Or maybe it's flexibility um, in just being able to do ministry as you would like to do. Whether it's the strength that you would need or the health that you would have or, or simply the cost problems. Um, coming back to that financial aspect. And so 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Let's talk about our application this morning. There are things that no believer should do. There are things that are, are, are lawful. There are things that I can do, but should not necessarily do. And then there are things that, just because you're doing it, or you, you're not doing it, doesn't mean necessarily that no one should or is. So, there are things that no born-again believer should do. Ephesians 5.18 says this, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Scriptures tell us that it is absolutely forbidden according to, to the Lord to get drunk. And here is the principle. As we extend this principle, we recognize the, the principle that's being taught is this. That every moment of your lives as a believer is intended to be compelled by the Spirit of God. So that you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith. As we exhibit those elements of our lives, that is the mark in our lives that we're being filled and led by the Spirit of God. And what Paul is saying is when we do something, when we consume something that alters our physical state, reduces our inhibitions, uh, blurs our discernment, now the Holy Spirit is not able to properly fill and direct you because you are being filled and directed by that substance. Be it alcohol, be it a drug, these substances, the mind-altering substances, have no place in our bodies. Now, I'm not saying that before you go into surgery and they put that IV in you and you start 
talking and you don't know what you're saying and all your family members are laughing at you. I'm not saying that's wrong. We're talking about a temporary thing for a medical need, understandable. But when you, outside of a legitimate medical reason, are placing into your body mind-altering substances, whether it's alcohol or whether it's a drug, you're offending this verse, which is very clear. Drunkenness is not compatible with one professing godliness. It's not. There are things that no believer should do. No believer should get drunk. No believer should be consuming or injecting or any of the ways that you could get it into your body a mind-altering substance that would remove your ability to discern and to function. It's wrong. Second, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Temperance is one of the most important elements of a believer's testimony. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24-27 to says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself might be a ca- oh, should be a castaway. And so Paul is saying here, uh, as he speaks on a spiritual plane, that in order to be spiritually effective, he is keeping his body under control. In order to be spiritually effective, he is controlling his body, his lusts, his desires, his direction with his body. Control over body, emotion, and will. Now, we have the Spirit to help us control our body, our emotion, and our will. So while there are substances we can consume, look folks, it's not sin to consume alcohol. Explicitly in Scripture, it's not there. You can have people explain how in the New Testament the wine was actually not alcoholic, it was just grape juice and it had not been fermented. And those explanations are fine, and it may very well be true. But there's nothing in the New Testament that lends itself to that interpretation outside of an entirely cultural argument that is somewhat speculative. And so I know I I don't make a lot of friends with fundamentalists when I say that, but inherently the consumption of any alcohol is not sinful. And I thank the Lord for that because sometimes I do need NyQuil. And I thank the Lord for that because there are missionaries on the field that sometimes do need to step into a culture that is alcohol consuming and need to, to be a part of that in order to be a part of the culture. So I thank the Lord that it's not inherently sinful to drink. But look, if, if the things that we've talked about today, and I have another message in Ephesians 5 on this uh, that we preached several, uh, probably a year ago at least, if, if, if these things do not convince you that there's no virtue in pursuing alcohol, then nothing will. It's the illustration I gave last time. It's kind of uh, helpful to, to us perhaps. I have two little girls and they're getting to that point where they like to reach. You know, and they can't always see what they're reaching, but they like to reach. And we have a stove. Stoves get hot. And perhaps one day my little girl will look up at that stove and I will look at her and I will say, that stove is hot. Now, I did not just tell her, do not touch the stove. I told her the stove is hot. I warned her against the consequences of touching the stove and warned her that if she touches the stove, she's probably in for a burn. 
And so if she touches the stove, she's going to get burned. And as she hears me say, that stove is hot, what she is translating is prohibition. Even though I haven't told her, thou shalt not as touch the stove. Now, in the scriptures, we see time and time again, the psalmists and the proverbs say, alcohol is bad. Alcohol will ruin you. Alcohol will take you down a road you don't want to go. It stops short of saying, thou shalt not as drinkest alcohol. We have that flexibility. A little bit of flexibility there within the freedom that we have in Christ in order to minister, in order to use it profitably. Very little flexibility. Because the warnings are that this will take you to a place you don't want to go. And as I stand before you today, I say stay away from it altogether. But I'm not going to tell you that it's sin for you not to because the Bible doesn't. Now, we can consume small amounts of alcohol. We can smoke a cigarette or a cigar without necessarily offending the clear commands of the Word of God. We are called to be people who have our bodies and our minds under control. And to be quite honest, with small amounts of alcohol and with cigars and cigarettes and such, tobacco, we can keep ourselves, our bodies and our minds and our emotions under control. We can still direct them to serve the Lord. We can still be godly. Charles Spurgeon was a notorious cigar smoker. There are many, many Christians in the past that are notorious smokers. It does not make you a bad, wicked man to be a smoker. It does not make you a bad, wicked man to drink some alcohol. But it does violate the scriptures when you allow mind-altering drugs to take over your bodies. And I would say that as we look at the scriptures, there is very little virtue in any of those substances. I'm trying to pound this point home. I hope you're getting it. It's lawful, but it's not necessarily expedient. It's not expedient for our finances. It's not expedient for our flexibility in ministry. It's not expedient. Now, if you have an addiction, it can only be a benefit to you to take the time and the effort to free yourself from it. You'll have more money with which to serve God. You might have a clearer head with which to serve God. You might even be a better testimony that you'll have with which to serve God. The consequences of freeing yourself from any bodily addiction are only positive from a spiritual perspective. One last warning as we close. Just because you shouldn't do something doesn't mean no one should do it. Now, this is a little bit of a different application this morning because I told you pretty much with, with all substances, it's really not something you should be doing. But you know, I didn't preach this message as we think about Romans 14 this morning. I didn't preach this message so that you can look around and judge the people around you. Outside of offending the clear commands in Scripture, which I know no one in this particular group that is, we need to be careful with how we judge those who are using substances. Addictions can be difficult to break. Many of them are formed at young ages. It's absolutely wrong of us to judge a person for the reasons why they have continued with something or are doing something. Certain culture and societal habits are formed using certain substances and when a person doesn't know any better, it's wrong of us to judge them for doing those things ignorantly. As with all things in the Christian life, it is our privilege to be gracious, to patiently instruct people concerning their weaknesses and their struggles in this life and to help them through them. Now, we don't need to give people excuses for their sin. 
We don't need to tell people something is virtuous when it's not. We don't need to even give people a pass on their own personal weaknesses or their unwillingness to to take care of things that need to be taken care of in their lives. But if a person doesn't understand these principles, they can still be a Christian, they can still love God, they can still be used to fulfill His purposes, they can still be good men. Uh, We're not talking about, we're not drawing a line today between those who are uh, complete apostates and those who are okay, whatever that might mean. It's our duty to lovingly serve, to instruct, to correct in accordance with the commands, principles, and precepts of the Word of God. And then it's our duty to leave the rest to the Holy Spirit and the conscience of each individual person. Every single one of us will stand before God and we will answer for ourselves alone. I didn't preach this message so that you could preach to others. I preached this message for you. What is the application to your life over these four weeks? Let's broaden it. Some of you may not have a substance problem in here. Good. Four weeks. Amusements. Appearance. Music. Substances. I didn't preach these messages so you could look out and say, how am I doing compared to others? I didn't, it's not, never what God does in the Scriptures. You stand before God, Romans 14 says, and you will answer to Him. You will answer to Him for your choices. You will answer to Him for the direction you've gone. Look, you won't answer to Him for your, your family's choices. Children. Perhaps you've sat there and you've said, you know, we've got some things in our household that, that I, don't, I don't think are right based upon these sermons. It's not... You, you won't stand before God for your parents' choices. You'll stand before God for your own. Parents, you look at your children and you say, you know, they're just making bad choices. Now, as parents, you have a little more authority than a child would have speaking to a parent about the issue. But you won't stand before God and answer for your children's choices. You'll stand before God and answer for your own. Pastor, I won't stand before God and answer for your choices. I'll stand before God and answer for my own. We will each stand before God and answer for our own choices. And so may I encourage you to search your own heart today. May I encourage you to Determine the direction. Now, Now, when you're a husband and wife combo, there's a little bit of a different dynamic there. You understand that as well. Husband and wife dynamic of being one flesh and such. But, um, but I didn't preach this message for you to, to start hounding others or any of these. But so that you in your own life could have in your mind a framework and an understanding with which to take the next steps in your Christian life, to lay aside the weights that so easily beset you, to cut the fat out of your Christian life so that you and your children and your family can be doing what's right before God. The best that you can be.